What I want to look at today is ourselves, a bit of self-examination. I mean, you see the title for this sermon, don't be thinking it's negative. Let's look at the context in which we find it. It's reading uh, a biography of uh, a minister who was lying on his deathbed. And his friend asked him, are you afraid to die? And he said, no, no, I'm, I'm not afraid to die. But he said something which confused his friend. He said, but I am ashamed. And you know, this minister had led a godly life. And this friend, from what I know of the story, admired him greatly. And in his ebb tide days or hours, he wanted to be with him and, and honor him and assure him that he had done a good work for the Lord. But he said, I am ashamed. And maybe that friend thought of the great things that this man had accomplished. And I'm not going to go into the biography, the, the, the great things that he did. But in his own mind, he said something, I am ashamed. But when we look at it, we kind of, I was trying to think of a better word than ashamed, but my thesaurus didn't come up with anything. So, But when we look at it, we see like a, a self-examination, as it were. And maybe a better way to put it, we see a humbleness before us. You see, if we take a moment with the Lord, and if we reflect on our lives, if we reflect on our service, and you don't have to be in full-time ministry, part-time ministry, but when you're a Christian, you're in ministry. And you reflect in your service for the Lord. I think we can all align with the sentiments of this minister. Because in honest self-reflection, we can identify how far short we fall of the goodness, of the love, and of the glory of the Lord. Just touch very briefly when we were looking at Saved by Grace and men and women who want to tell the world how wonderful they are, the wonderful things that they have done, the wonderful things they have accomplished for the kingdom of God. I remember many years ago, this guy, he eventually did die, but he was terminally ill, and this minister was brought in. And we were in a secure ward. And before he could go in, the nurses had to go in and get this guy ready for his visit. His wife had brought this minister along. And the thing, I mean, I wasn't long safe back then, and the thing kept going over my head was this minister was standing there and he was saying, oh, I was in Africa and I did this and I was here and I did that and I prayed for people and they were healed. And all these, and he kept saying, I, 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 I. And I kept thinking in my head, what happened to Jesus? And I was too immature as a Christian. Today, I would speak up. But back then, I thought, be quiet and just listen. But that's the sadness of it all. When we talk about how good we are, in fact, maybe we don't want to talk about it, but when we feel how good we are and how important we are, then we're on the wrong road. In Proverbs uh, 27 and 2, there we go. Let another man praise thee and not thine own mouth. 
a stranger and not thine own lips. You see, we can be proud. And in a sense, that proudness is maybe what God done on our lives. But we can be proud and at times we, as men, we can seek recognition for our works. And it is good and it is right as Proverbs 27 and 2 tells us, it's good and it's right for others to recognize us. And it's good and should be for others to encourage us as we labor for the Lord. I remember, again, as a young Christian, when Brother Hugh Sloan brought us to his house, we were going through the doctrines of the church and uh, the late elder, Davy Hobson, was there. And Hugh was teaching us the doctrine, but... Davy taught us the practical things in, in life. And I remember one thing he said. And he said, always encourage God's servants. Always encourage God's servants. And it's good. Because there's a lot of discouragement in the world, folks. And so it's good for others to recognize your ministry. And to encourage you as you labor for the Lord. But you know something? For me, Paul puts all things in perspective. In Romans 7, 24, that famous verse. He said, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Then we go into Ephesians to his epistle to the church there. He said, unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul was not saying that he was useless. Paul is not indicating that we should feel useless this morning. What Paul was saying, he was comparing what God had done in his life. The goodness, the love, the mercy of God in his life. And despite all the wonderful things which Paul accomplished, despite all the faith that he had, he counted them as nothing. He looked at this. He counted them as nothing compared to the goodness of God. All that Paul did, all that he went through, he wanted to honor the Lord. He wanted to honor God. He wanted to teach the church that it's not us, it's God that should get the honor. And he, and he was worthy of encouragement. He was worthy of praise from other men. But Paul didn't want it. He wanted them to praise God for the great things he had done. You know, personally, we can all do this. So I can say that I love the Lord. And I know looking around me, each and every one of you can testify of the love you have for the Lord. But you know something? When I take a moment with God and look at my past life, and I know my sins are forgiven, we looked at it at the table this morning. But I cringe. And I'm ashamed when I look at my weaknesses. My heart melts, church, in God's presence. When I consider God's patience and mercy towards me, when the times I've tripped and fell, I've been picked up. I've been wounded, I've been picked up on that Jericho road. And he's poured in the oil and the wine. I genuinely, folks, and I'm not looking any praise for this. I genuinely, in my prayers, wonder how God puts up with me. I really do. One of God's servants that I read said, I'm amazed at the hideous vitality of sin and self that yet lurks within me. I am ashamed. 
I have not preached the way I should have preached. I am ashamed. I have wasted opportunities for the gospel and I'm ashamed. I see my lack of love and I am ashamed. I see my ingratitude and my shortcomings and I'm ashamed. I realize my lack of zeal and I'm ashamed. I consider my prayer life and I'm ashamed. How many of us is that talking to this morning? I have not preached the way I should have preached. That's not from the pulpit, folks. That's in our daily walk and sharing the gospel. Think of the wasted opportunities. I think of the wasted opportunities I've had. John Newton, concerning this, he wrote this beautiful, I don't know why it's a poem or a verse from one of his songs. He said, often at the mercy seat, while calling on thy name, swarms of evil thoughts I meet, which fill my soul. I'm glad I'm not the only one. Amen. Swarms of evil thoughts I meet, which fill my soul with shame. Agitated is my mind, like a feather in the air. Can I thus a blessing find? My soul, can this be prayer? And so in our honest reflection, folks, we're not alone, we're all human. Each and every person in this room, this applies to us all. We're not alone. We're not gonna conquer completely that carnal nature which we war with, which Paul speaks of in Romans 7 until the Lord comes back in glory. And then it says, and, uh, 1, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15 reminds us, 45 to 55, then this corruptible shall put on incorruption. Amen. Many feel this way when they think of the goodness of God and how they serve him. And it's, it's true, we, we, we know that God has forgiven us. But you know, one of the hardest things we find is how to forgive ourselves. Because we know what we've done. We know what we've said. And we find it hard to forgive ourselves. We look at our failures and feel ashamed as we should do in our humbleness before the Lord. You know, we know we've been granted eternal life. Like this minister we started off with, all fear of death has been taken away by the certainty of eternal life through Jesus Christ. But at times we are keenly aware that we can be or we are as unprofitable servants for the Lord. Luke 17 and 10 tells us, so likewise ye when ye shall have done all those things which ye are commanded, you say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. Think of the many times our heart has been cold towards the Lord Jesus Christ. Can we be honest this morning, church? Let's remember this morning, no one else, but our lame excuses that we have made for not being at church, that we have made for not praying enough, the excuses that we make for holding unforgiveness in our hearts, the lame excuses we make which have so discord and disunity in the house of the Lord. How we thank our Savior for his grace, for his mercy, for the precious blood. Because at the end of the day, an awful price has been paid for our ransom. So may we be overwhelmed this morning and amazed at the undeserved mercy of God. 
And this is what it's all about, church. It's not about making us feel bad this morning. We're human. But when we remember who we are, then we can be overwhelmed this morning at the amazing, undeserved mercy of God. To know that he has even died for our shame. He has saved us. He has adopted us. And the truth is that the ashamedness that we feel can only be felt in this life because when the Lord returns, we will be like him. So Paul Mabney says, who shall deliver me from this wretched body? We will be like him. We will remember our sins no more. We read this at the table this morning. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. You know something? When we're in God's presence, shame cannot exist in the presence of God. Because it's okay to be honest. It's okay to be self-reflective and think, you know, Lord, I should have done I shouldn't have done, I should have said, I shouldn't have said. But when we're in the presence of God, then we realize the great mercy that he pours upon a wretched man like me, which Paul said. All the bitter shame and sorrow will flee in the brightness and in the glory of his grace. See, church, this isn't a word to make you feel bad this morning. It's a word to remember humility before the Lord. The psalmist said in Psalm 16, 11, Thou wilt show me the path of life in thy presence is fullness of joy and at thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. When we spend time with God and we humble ourselves in honesty and stop telling God how good we are and tell God how much we need him, that's the humility that God wants from us. And that's when God blesses us. And that's when God reminds us that despite our faults and our failings, his mercy reaches out to us. His patience reaches out to us. Patience is something that we find hard sometimes. My mom had a little saying, patience is a virtue some, some struggle to understand. Seldom in a woman, but never in a man. But I think she should have said, never in a mankind. It's hard for us, especially when we feel hurt by others, when we feel put down by others. It's hard. But you know something? When we're in God's presence, when we gl- give glory to God, There won't be an inch of room for shame because we will remember the mercy of God. And this is what this is about, church. And we spoke about this, saved by grace alone. Touched on it as we looked at the glory of Christ. And that's the glory of Christ. Despite who I am, I'll personalize this so no one gets offended. Despite who I am, God loves me. Despite my feelings, God loves me. And in humbleness, God will bring into each and every one of us joy unspeakable. Joy unspeakable. You know that wonderful verse in the book of Revelation, the opening chapter? When John realized who it was, he fell at his feet 
as dead. Because John realized the mercy, the wonder, the grace, the power, the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ to each and every one of us. And I love that verse from Revelation 21 and 4. When the Lord comes back, God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Do you know when I read that? I think of when the Lord returns and I fall before him ashamed of myself. He'll just pick me up and wipe away all tears from my eyes because his love and his mercy and his grace and his patience has covered us. There could be tears of shame, but this I do know. All memory of unworthiness and sin shall be impossible when we wake in the likeness of God. I love that we, this little chorus we, we sometimes sing, Psalm 17. I love the songs from the Bible. As for me, I will behold thy, thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake in thy likeness. Oh, for that day. Doesn't this bring in the real context what Paul the Apostle was saying when he said, oh, wretched man that I am? When I awake in thy likeness. When we awake in the likeness of God. Psalm 34 and 5, they looked unto him and were lightened and their faces were not ashamed. You know something? Religion would make us ashamed. The world would tell us to be ashamed. But God wipes away all tears from our eyes. And when we approach him in humility, with the understanding as we have looked at, we are saved by his grace. Then what can we do but fall at his feet? What can we do but worship and adore his precious name? See, things can be difficult for mankind and for the world looking in. This sense of looking at yourself, they can't understand. And they can't understand it because of what Paul explained in 2 Timothy 3 and 2. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. You know, church, social media can have good points, it can have bad points, but one thing I've noticed about it, how much people are in love with themselves. They're never off the internet with photographs of themselves. And it's not just girls, it's men too, apparently now. And it's not that I would often quote Andy Warhol, but he said, all men shall be famous for 15 minutes, was a famous quote he gave. And in a sense, it's right. You can go onto the internet with a photograph of yourself and two or three will watch it or millions will watch it, depends on what it is. There's this desire in self-promotion. You've only got to look at reality television. There's just this, this wannabe fame. But you know fame is fleeting, folks. And fame has destroyed more lives than it has blessed. But there's this desire in mankind in the world today that we are lovers of sales. It's all about us. And I will live the way I want to live and everybody will accept it whether they like it or not. That's man today. But yet as Christians, we have learned that everything we have 
is an undeserved blessing from God. This is when we realize our weaknesses. Everything we have in life is an undeserved blessing from the Lord. Okay, we've done things we're not proud of. But we have been forgiven through the blood of Christ. And at times we kind of wish we could go back in time and erase all manner of sins and failures. But you know something? One, you can't. There's no such a thing as time travel. But you know them sins, them failures can be learning curves. When I look back in life and look at the things I've learned from the stupid things I've done, then they can be learning curves. And they were hard, some of them, to go through, but having gone through them, I learned from them. You see, we need to learn, folks, that failure is an event. It's not a person. And trusting in the Lord will bring us forward as pure gold. You know, the, the, the things that we go through in life, they can either be positive or they can be negative. They can be positive in that we learn from them and be stronger, and then they can be negative that we don't learn from them and continue to wallow in the mud with them. Church, remember this morning, failure is an event. It's not a person. There are certain things that when we realize who we are, then we realize that there are certain things that we need not be ashamed of. There are things that we don't need to be ashamed of, we don't need to be embarrassed about. And there are things as Christians that we must stand for. Because when we look at ourselves, we can be honest and, and realize the goodness of God and the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God. But you know something? We are not ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ. As Christians, we should not be ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ. The world wants us to be, but we are not ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not ashamed of his birth. He was virgin born, and cynics through the centuries have reeled on this, what they call magnificent truth, or what we call a magnificent truth, sorry. But even, you know, during Christ's lifetime, he was taunted about his birth. Johnny at 41. You do the deeds of your father. Then said they to him, we be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. I never thought about this before when I read this verse. And I know there's a theological context and all here. We're not going to go into that, but wonder was that also a dig at Jesus? We were not born of fornication. See, they didn't believe in the marital birth. As far as they were concerned, I'll not say the word, but you know, uh, illegitimate. He was born outside of marriage. Was this the dig they were having at Jesus? But even though it was foretold in Luke one thirty-five. It says, and the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And watch people try and talk around the disbelief of Christ's birth. Don't, it was a miraculous birth. 
And those who mock it, they may not like it. But the Lord had always indicated his intention to become human. And according to the law, if someone was to be redeemed, that means brought back, have their debts paid, they could only be redeemed by a kinsman. And Luke 27, 47 to 45 says that the Redeemer had to be related. He had to be a kinsman Redeemer. And then the Lord announced in Isaiah 43, 15, that he was the kinsman Redeemer of his people. And I'm not going into it too much, but the Hebrew word there, if I'm pronouncing it right, is Gael. G-A-A-L, Gael. And this means that every time it refers to himself as the Gale, the Lord was prophesying that he would become a man. And consequently, the virgin birth presents us with no problems. And so we should not be ashamed of the birth of Christ. It's a fundamental truth. And it needed to be a virgin birth, that he could come our kinsman redeemer and that he could be born sinless and live a sinless life and die on the cross for our sins. And here's things, you know, I'm only telling you things I've heard. As believers, we are not ashamed of his miracles. You see, I believe he was a real faith healer. There was no pretense when Christ healed people. There was no showmanship when the Lord healed people. And you know, today if you talk about miracles, people think you're a simpleton. You're a simpleton. You're easily led someone who would believe anything. They say that in your desire to justify your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, your, your mind is just open to believe anything that is written in the Bible. Well, I say this nearly, I say this quite a lot. Simon Greenleaf puts it well for me. Believe the whole Bible. Believe what you can't believe by reason, what you cannot believe by reason, believe by faith. People think you're a simpleton today. And I've heard Christians try to explain miracles. I heard one minister try to say that a lot of people whose demons were cast from, they didn't have demons. They had mental health problems. They weren't demons. And just the comfort that Jesus would have given them. Brothers and sisters, the Bible tells me demons were cast out of them. And I believe the Bible. I'm not embarrassed by the miracles of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't have to try and explain in worldly terms his miracles. I don't and would never make an excuse. I don't need to explain them because I can't. But I believe Jesus healed blind eyes. I believe that Jesus raised people from the dead. One uh, preacher I heard listening to one night, he said, Jesus ruined every funeral he ever went to. He rose people from the dead. And I am not ashamed of the miracles of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed of the miracles recorded throughout the Bible. I believe with all my heart that when Moses parted the Red Sea, it parted. When Joshua did, it parted. When the clock went back one hour, it went back one hour. These are impossible. No, they're not to Almighty God. He is the God of miracles. And we should not be ashamed. We should not try to make excuses. We should not try to give worldly explanations for things that we can't understand. But it doesn't mean we don't believe them. We should not be ashamed of the claims of Jesus Christ. Jesus made some wonderful claims which annoyed a lot of people in his day. He claimed to be the most remarkable things. 
John 10, 30. He said, I and the Father are one. In John 8, 58, he said, before Abraham was, I am. And in John 14, verse 6, he said, no man comes to the Father but by me. These are not words, folks. These are statements of who he was. And they're statements which, I don't know, rocked the words, maybe are wrong, shook the world when he made them and shook the society of his day and, and shake society today when, when we claim or when we say we are not ashamed of his claims. We don't have to justify them in worldly terms. Opponents say that the last statement where Jesus said, no man comes to the Father uh, but by me is intolerant and exclusive. So they're saying that Jesus was intolerant and exclusive. Intolerant because he didn't tolerate any other claim to be the way to God. He is the way. This was an unkind intolerance. You know, parents get intolerant and because of the dangers forbid their children from playing in the middle of a road. No one would, in their right mind, would say their intolerance was hateful. They wouldn't say it's exclusive. It was because they love them, they don't want them harmed. Jesus is telling mankind there is no other way unto the Father but by him. That's not intolerant. That's not exclusive. That's inclusive for all those who believe in him. Church, with respect, you can go to the grave of Buddha, of John Smith, of Muhammad, or you can go to an empty tomb where Christ once lay. He is the way. And we should not be ashamed. So sad to hear people saying, well, there are many roads to God. There's not. There is one road, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. There is one door. There is one truth this morning. That's not exclusive. Exclusive. That's not intolerant. That's a desire that all men will know the way, the truth, and the life, and they will be saved. And they'll not enter a lost eternity. You see, because of Jesus' love, it is both, yes, it is in a sense exclusive and intolerant in the sense that it's laying down a way whereby men may be saved. And it's condemning other claims as into eternal life. Are we ashamed of the claims of the Lord Jesus Christ? If someone asked us, do you believe Jesus is the only way? Will we say yes? Will we say that? Are we prepared to say yes, he is the only way? Or we, do we become a church abbot? Ah, but wait a minute, there's many, there's, there's not many folks. If you believe the Bible, then the Bible clearly states there is only one way, and that's through Jesus. Some condemn Jesus because they say of his silence. Are we ashamed of his silence? In Matthew 26, 62, 63, he stood before his accusers, and it says he answered them not. Do we stand before our accusers? 
He stood before his accusers much in the same way we would have to stand before God. As unredeemed sinners, we would have nothing to say before him. Romans 3 and 19. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may be guilt, become guilty before God. He stood in silence, but his silence was not guilt, church. His silence was prophesied in Isaiah 53 and 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He has brought us a lamb to the slaughter as a sheep before her shears is dumb or silent, so he openeth not his mouth. Jesus stood in silence in our place as we would have to stand in silence in our place before God. He could have defended himself, quite rightly could have defended himself, but he stood in silence. Why? Because he was the substitute. He was bearing the sins of all men. Church, I'm not ashamed of the silence of the Lord. There are those who say they were ashamed of his cry. From the cross, he screamed the agonizing words, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The critics say, some God he is. When he feels pain, they don't understand. Yes, he was fully God, but he was fully man. We looked at this. He knew pain. This was the humanity crying onto the divinity. These were the anguish words of one who was dying for us. Because on the cross, he hung there as our substitute. Or a better way to put it, he hung there instead of me. That wonderful little chorus, I should have been crucified, I should have suffered and died, I should have hung on the cross in disgrace. But Jesus, God's son, took my place. He was executed as our representative and reckoned guilty before God. And it's as though he tasted the depth of our God's forsakenness. You see, our sin separated Jesus from the Father. He tasted the God-desertedness that his people's sins would have caused him at judgment day. And his scream was the agony of what mankind has done. His separation from God. We are not ashamed of his death. We go back to Isaiah 53 and 5. He was wounded for, for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes, we are healed. Every aspect of Jesus' death was substitutionary. He was doing it for us. The sinful shame that we would have felt for God, he felt as he hung there naked on the cross. I'm not ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. Not ashamed of his birth, of his miracles, of his claims, of his silence, of his cry, of his death, of his resurrection, of his ascension. Into glory. I agree with Paul. Romans 1 and 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is a power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. You know, there are many who claim to be sent to preach the gospel, but they don't know what it is. Their message is subjective, man-centered, message of self-help. But the true gospel is the perfect work of Christ. We looked at this. It's an event which took place outside of us in history. It's a completed, finished work accomplished by the one 
who is the gospel incarnate. You see, the gospel isn't about Christ coming into our hearts. It's about Christ coming into the world to save his people. And we indeed, like Psalm 89, 14 and uh, 15 says, we have the joyful sound. You know, as I read this, I thought, what is the joyful sound? It is that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, was buried, rose on the third day, and was seen of many witnesses. What is the joyful sound this morning? It is that because of the gospel, our judge became our justifier. What is a joyful sign? It is because of the gospel, there is full acquittal for all through the blood of Christ. What is a joyful sign? It is that because of the gospel, the accuser of the brethren is cast down. What is a joyful sign? It is that through the gospel, those trusting in the merits of Christ and his blood have a verdict in their favor. All charges are dropped. Case dismissed. Church, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. We don't rest in the plan of salvation as much as we trust. And we should do. It was God's plan. God fulfilled that plan in Christ Jesus. And so we are saved by grace alone. We do see the glory of Christ. And seeing the glory of Christ, it reminds us of who, the musicians could come back please, of who we were and folks get that word, who we were. You're going to be tempted. You're going to trip and fall. But you know something? The recognition that you've tripped and fell, for me, is the witness that Christ is in your life. When you do something wrong and you feel no guilt and you think you're right, then really you need to get the prayer and fasting. But when you come before the Lord and say, Lord, help me shut my big fat mouth, that's a recognition that you've let the tongue loose. Help me not do what I did. You know, you'll still be tempted, folks. Don't feel wrong for being tempted. So when you, get it, when you give in to temptation, it becomes a sin. But come on, let's worship the Lord this morning. Let's thank him for his love and his mercy. Thank him for the grace whereby we are saved. Thank him for who he was. Thank him for what he did on the cross for his sins. And declare this morning, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Let's stand in his presence and let's worship the Lord.